I'm not really the best person to speak about it. I know you were expecting our special ambassador, Stuart Windsor, to come and speak. He would have been far better than me, I can tell you. Um, but sadly, he passed on this summer, and we miss him very much. It won't be the first time I've had to stand in for him, but the first under such a, a reason. He has double booked on one or two occasions, and I've had to go and take his place. Thank you very much for your invitation, and thank you for your ongoing interest in CSW. It is very much appreciated, I assure you. Let me just tell you something about myself. I'm a volunteer with CSW. I've been volunteering now for about 10 years. I go in uh, once a week. I, I had a spell going in twice a week, but at the moment I'm going in once a week, and I do all sorts of... Uh, odd support jobs in the advocacy department, um, some of which are interesting, some of which are thoroughly tedious, but it frees up the advocates to get on with what really matters. Prior to that, I was a civil engineer in the... Just checking the right slides up there. I was a civil engineer um, specialising in water and wastewater... I've been involved in major sewerage and sewage treatment projects across the world, Egypt, Jordan, Russia, and here in the UK. I was also uh, a technical auditor for Anglian Water for their reporting for Ofwat for five years. I looked after the dirty water side and my colleague looked after the clean water side. So you can imagine my feelings when I saw this next slide. On the 1st of June this year, Irfan Massey from the Omakot city in Sin province collapsed as a result of inhaling toxic fumes when he was cleaning out a manhole. He arrived at Civil Hospital in a critical condition, covered in sludge, and the doctors told family members they couldn't treat him because they were fasting and he was napak or unclean. The doctors asked for Massey's family to clean his body before they administered any treatment. So he was left gasping for breath whilst his brother and other members of his family cleaned him up. And then they brought in an oxygen cylinder only to find it was empty. So they had to go and get another one. By the time that arrived, the poor man had died. I have to say this couldn't happen in the UK because under health and safety um, he would have had to be provided with special protective clothing and there would have had to be an, an emergency oxygen supply at the site. I've done training in this sort of thing so I can assure you that's correct. Now one of my tasks in CSW is to monitor parliamentary questions to the EU and to pick out anything that would be of interest to our advocates. And I came across uh, this one, dated 11th of July, and it starts off like this. Discrimination against religious minorities in Pakistan is increasingly featuring in the media with cases of blasphemy law, contraventions receiving international attention. A recent job advertisement in the Greater Hyderabad municipality has caused further concern for those campaigning for the rights of religious minorities. The advert is for the position of a sanitary worker and applications are only invited from non-Muslims who must swear on their holy book 
that they will only work as a sanitary worker and will not refuse to carry out the role. And it goes on, such discriminatory practices are not unusual. Now this is religious discrimination. Next slide, thank you. On August the 8th this year, the Nepali Parliament passed a bill criminalizing religious conversion and the hurting of religious sentiment, which is a sort of blasphemy law. It was signed by the President on the 16th of October and is expected to come into law soon. Now, CSW has been working very hard through its contacts, through the UN and elsewhere, to try to get this law stopped or to, get, to prevent the President from signing it. We weren't successful. But it goes against Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Next slide. Thank you which actually says that you have the right to change your religion. Freedom of religion or belief is a human right under the UDHR. But according to the Pew Forum, 75% of the world's population live in countries with significant restrictions on religion, and you saw a map earlier. Nepal is not the only country that has a law forbidding change of religion. And while such laws claim to protect your right to practice the religion you were born into, they make it a criminal offense to change your religion or to share your faith with someone, especially if it might lead them to change their religion. And in Nepal, these laws were ultimately intended to protect the prevalent religion there, which is Hinduism. Bear in mind that in many countries, your religion is stated on your identity card. We don't have identity cards here, but most countries do. And in many countries, your religion is on your ID card. If you lived in Egypt and you wanted to convert from Christianity, and it's the Coptic church in Egypt predominantly, if you wanted to change from being a Coptic Christian to being a Muslim, you will get it changed on your ID card very easily and you probably get a new card the same day or maybe the day after. If, on the other hand, you want to convert from Islam to Christianity, then there will be a big uproar about it. And you need to get it changed because if you don't, then your children will be brought up or go to schools and be deemed to be Muslims, even though you want to bring them up as Christians, that's in Egypt. Next slide, please. There's various forms of persecution. And sadly, in many countries, religion is becoming more polarized. Where where people of different religions used to live happily side by side, they've done so for generations, things are getting increasingly difficult. Imagine you're a Christian living happily in a mixed community. Generally, everyone gets on with each other and have done for ever since you can remember. Then slowly things begin to change. Your neighbors start talking to you. It gets nasty. Your neighbors start leaving rubbish outside your house. And they're abusive when you ask them to move it. 
You go to the police station to complain. You enter an FIR, a first information report, and they take down your details. And then when you leave, they file it in the waste bin. When your neighbor finds you've done that, they go and complain to the police. And the next thing you find is you're arrested and you spend the night in jail. And you say, but what about my complaint? And they say, what complaint? There's no evidence of it. And it gets to the point when you have to leave the area. It's unlikely that you'll be able to sell your house, so you have to abandon it. And in many countries, there are many internally displaced people because of that. Next slide, please. Indonesia used to be a very tolerant, open country, but that's changing. I can remember just earlier this year, uh, a colleague in CSW coming back from Indonesia and telling us about this. He was with this family, and their Christian family, and their daughter had this text from their best friend. We can't be friends anymore because my God does not allow me to be friends with people like you. So, next slide. What is CSW? Christian, Christian solidarity works in over 20 countries where practicing the Christian faith can lead to everything from harassment and marginalization to torture and even death. Poor minorities are suffering in fear of death and destruction without justice or their voices being heard. Just as I speak, there are 2,500 Eritrean Christians imprisoned in terrible conditions many in shipping containers. There are Indonesian churches that have been forcibly closed. There are Cuban pastors in prison or under house arrests. And there are dozens of Christians in prison in Iran. And that's just to name a few of the countries that CSW is working in. But these brothers and sisters around the world believe in the resurrected Christ. And so they have hope. Our moral mandate comes from the UN Declaration of Human Rights, Article 18, and the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, Article 18. Now, the ICCPR is very similar to the UDHR, but it's actually a treaty and it's binding and Almost every country in the world is signed up to it. There's a few not. Saudi Arabia's not, and there's one or two others not. North Korea signed and then said, whoops, I think we made a mistake. Um, and then they were told, but there's no provision in the treaty for you backing out. So they're still there as signatories, but they don't observe it. But that is our mandate. And when we go to countries, we can say, you signed the ICCPR, but you are not conforming to it. Our spiritual mandate comes from the Proverbs 31.8. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. And as the family of the suffering church, we are called to join in with them in longing and praying for the breaking dawn of hope and justice. And we're also called to stand with them 
and elevate their voices, to call on international leaders to account for the injustice and seek change. We're called to be part of resurrection breaking out all over the world, bringing hope and light. So how does CSW work? Next slide, please. We work through research. We hear about an awful lot of things, but how true is it? How accurate is the news? I mean, if you read the newspapers, you know... If you've had anything to do with anything that arrives in the newspapers, you know they're brilliant at getting it wrong. But we make sure that we find out what's happening. We are recognized internationally. We're recognized by the UK government, by the United Nations, for the accuracy of our reports, and we're often quoted in Parliament. We have contacts in over 20 countries, so we find out and report the truth. Analysis, we look at, see what's happening, to determine trends and what is behind what is happening. You know about the Rohingya crisis. I can tell you, years ago, we were trying to do something about that because we could see this was coming. Awareness raising, we have frequent press releases, many of which are taken up by all sorts of different parts of the media, Response magazine, there's copies out there. You've probably seen it, but there's the latest copy out there if you want to take one. Um, We have a web page. We have a weekly prayer email that you can sign up for. And as I said, we are well respected for our reports and advocacy. Next slide, please. At the UN, we have uh, been granted... special consultative status. We applied for this eight years ago, and year after year it got deferred. They didn't vote on it. This last summer, 2016, they voted, and they turned us down. But we, were, we appealed, and we were supported by the uh, U.S. government, the British government, various others, and we gained consultative status. And part of the reason why we got it is because we're not that polarized. We're not just concerned with persecution of the Christian church. We are concerned with freedom of religion and belief for all. And that's very important. That actually helps us to get in into the high places in the world. But it's also because it's religious minorities that are being persecuted, not just Christians. Unfortunately, Christians are also there in the minority and we do suffer the brunt of it. But nonetheless, that's what we believe as Christians. Thank you. Another thing we do is we train people. We bring human rights defenders from different countries together and train them on how to safely monitor and record what is happening. And I personally have been helping with the organization of a program of training for human rights activists in South Asia. We've held meetings for lawyers, for journalists, and others relating on how they can be more effective in their work on safe... um, in their work, on how they can be safe, and so on. And the the delegates come from all religions. I was privileged to go to Sri Lanka. This actually is is not the conference I was at, but it's in the hall where we had ours, in a rather nice hotel 
in Sri Lanka. Um, and we had people there from all sorts of different backgrounds. We had two lovely Muslim girls from Sri Lanka, plus our, a group that were involved with evangelical Christian, um, what's it called? I wrote it down somewhere, <coughs> in, in Sri Lanka. Um, and it was lovely. Everyone got on together, so from Sri Lanka, from India, from um, Bangladesh, from Pakistan. We had one person who came from Afghanistan. We had the, tra- the sad job of having to tell him because it happened whilst he was on the plane traveling to us that his office had been bombed and the uh, head of it, his mentor, had been killed. And this, this is what we do. Also, we provide solidarity. The latest of these uh, conferences, by the way, was held in Kathmandu and was on the theme Defending the Defenders, trying to help people to see how they can uh, look after themselves. Solidarity. Our advocates keep in touch with their contacts, email, Skype, you name it, and they stand alongside them. They keep in touch and they, they pray with them and pray for them. And also putting our supporters in touch with those who are suffering persecution. Thank you. Through Connect and Encourage. The feedback we get is that it is in, tremendously encouraging. Our supporters love to hear. They love to know that they Others know about it. They're not on their own. People are praying for them. People in the UK here really do care. So, next slide. What can you do? We have four Ps. Pray, protest, provide, proclaim. First, prayer. Uh, We have a weekly prayer diary. Four times we send out our response magazine every, uh, every year and we have a quarterly prayer diary that sets up for each week. And in addition, you can sign up for our weekly prayer emails. You can pray alone or you can hold regular pre- meetings for prayer. Do you have a prayer meeting for the persecuted church here? There is a church that I visit from time to time near where I live, St. Andrew's. Um, in Cheam, and they have a monthly prayer meeting for the persecuted church, and uh, um, they find it a great blessing. Um, the prayer topic this week is Iran. <clears throat> Second on the left in that photograph is Pastor Nadakani, who was in, has been in, in and out of prison for goodness knows how long. Three years ago, I think it was, three or four years ago, he came and spoke at our annual conference in London under very careful security. We weren't at all sure about his safety, but he came, he spoke, and he got home safely. And it was a great privilege um, to have him, but he's in prison again. And they get trumped-up charges on things like... uh, Um, speaking out against national security and silly things like that, when all they've really been doing is teaching the gospel. 
protest. Some, for some years, we've had a, a, um, a demonstration outside the Eritrean embassy. And you're always welcome to come and join this. These things are made known. You can also sign petitions, and there is one outside if you'd like to sign it about Nigeria, uh, asking protection for families being attacked by the Fulani militia in Nigeria. Sometimes we ask you to write to your MP or MEP, and online there are ways in which you can actually um, do that. I've done it on a number of occasions, and I've had letters back from the MP. Not terribly helpful always, but sometimes they do... They do take the initiative and they pass on the question to the minister and they come back with an answer. So it is well worthwhile doing it. Provide. An important way, of course, is through giving. But apart from that, um, writing to people. This prayer group I mentioned will no doubt in the next, during this month, I would think, they will have one session where they'll go and sign Christmas cards and they'll send them out to people in prison um, using Connect and Courage. It's very, very well worthwhile. And you may never know the effect your cards and letters may have. Next slide. Pastor Omar Perez led a network of churches in Cuba preaching freedom in Christ. He was put in prison on trumped-up charges and told he might face 75 years in jail. He was fed rotten food, denied medical treatment, and was hardly ever allowed to see his family. And he was losing hope. He was just really, really at the last, you know. Losing faith in whether God could save him or help him. And things got so bad, he just decided to give up. He'd just go with the flow, uh, give up on God. That was it. So he decided... Next time he saw his wife, he'd tell his wife, say, you know, you just have to leave me, dear, uh, and never come back. I've lost faith in God. And on visiting day, they sat down together, and as he was about to tell his wife, she said, wait. God has told me that you, what you're about to say, and I want you to listen to this first. We've received a letter from a six-year-old in England, and he wrote, God has faith in you and his wife Kenya said and I have faith in you too and the man broke down and cried and he turned back to God and he found new strength and after that he was actually able to lead other prisoners to Christ and to pastor the inmates and through the work of CSW with the US government and the UN who put pressure on the Cuban government Pastor Omar was released So by writing to people in difficult situations, you have no idea of the effect. Proclaim. There's old Stuart there with Ruth, who is our um, development, I'm not quite sure what the title is, but she promotes CSW in Scotland, and she does it extremely well. And uh, Stuart's up there um, speaking with, with her in a church in Scotland. It's surprising how ignorant Christians are about what's happening elsewhere. And we do really need to get the message. We need to share their needs because the need goes on. Next slide. Thank you.
In Britain, we live in a sort of bubble. And it's time that bubble burst and we became aware of what is going on outside. I was sharing with some ambassadors uh, a few months ago and we were talking about this. We talk about the persecuted church as if it's something out there. It's not. They are our brothers and sisters. We are part of the persecuted church, which has happened to be part that isn't suffering persecution at the moment. In the story of the Good Samaritan, which we read, we know absolutely nothing about the man who fell among thieves. Was he Jewish or wasn't he? What we do know is that the religious people of his day refused to help. And the despised foreigner actually came to his aid. Jesus was persecuted. He suffered and he died on the cross for us. And he also warned that his followers would suffer persecution. But he also said this, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you... You who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was ill, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you visited me. As I said, we don't know how long it will, we will remain without persecution. Whatever happens, people sort of talk about Christianophobia and a few other little things here. It's not persecution. It's not what people suffer elsewhere. But I believe we do have a responsibility to stand with our brothers and sisters, those who live in fear and yet still stand up for Christ. So let's pray together that prayer that uh, we saw earlier. Let's pray. Father God, as one church united under your holy headship and knowing that we are all one family in Christ, we pray for those who suffer in your name all over the world, our brothers and sisters who share in that same great gift of salvation through your Son, but who face injustice, oppression, and even death because of their faith in you. We want to walk with them as they journey through the valley of darkness, and we pray, knowing that you are a God of compassion, comfort, and justice, who hears their prayers and moves in power to protect them whatever they face. We pray that you will grant them strength, courage, and protection from those who seek to harm them because they follow you. Guidance and wisdom for when their path seems impossible to tread and hope for a future where they have the freedom to worship you without fear. In the name of Jesus. Amen.